Hello, welcome to Quota Queens. <laughs> we have a special guest today, Shayna Schwarsky, who comes from Emissary. She is a VP of sales and a total rock star. She has been one of my mentors as I've grown in my sales career and also just an incredible woman. So today we're really gonna have an interview with her and, and have her speak. So welcome, Shayna. Thank you. Looking forward to chatting today. Yeah. So, Shana, I would love for everyone to just first hear, like, what is your role and what are you doing now? <laughs> yeah. Interesting question. Uh, so I'm actually in a transition period right now um, in my career. I would say I've, I've typically taken the non-traditional route in anything that I've done. Um, so started my career in actually went to college for sustainability and environmental sciences and got into consulting living in New York for uh, right out of college. And um, once I quickly realized what corporate America was like, uh, started looking at avenues to get more customer facing, but also uh, more kind of into the startup world. And so uh, went into a series of, you know, an energy company and a uh, energy tech company, and then got an opportunity to work at a educational tech startup that was just kind of transforming the space in New York. Um, and uh, along the way, have kind of morphed myself into sales. Um, and I can talk more about kind of how I made that transition. And, and being at two startups now, um, one being acquired, this one going on uh, was started at this company at Series Seed, um, and they're about to raise their Series B. Um, I'm now kind of venturing off into starting my own company and now doing a lot of advisory work. Um, so looking at boards I can join and helping other um, sales leaders um, helping them connect them to people that I know in my network. So kind of creating my own uh, role and experience now based on uh, what I've learned over the last nine years in the startup world. Wow, that's so impressive. When you, uh, when you were at your last job at Emissary, did, what was it that you entered in as and what did you leave as? Yeah, so I entered in, you know, like I said, untraditionally as an account manager actually. So. When I was at the prior company before, I was um, leading the uh, in one of the first enterprise account managers, and our account management function was a land and expand model. So we really did a lot of the growth at that company in the largest deals. So you know, a two thousand dollar deal would get sent to us, and we'd build it to five hundred thousand. And so was doing a lot of the sales motion there, and. Uh, I convinced them to also let me uh, do net new on the verticals that my clients specialized in. And so seeing that no one was kind of verticalizing where our clients were, being a startup, I basically said any customer that my clients refer, I want to own the net new process because I can speak to it the best. I know the story. I know the use cases. And so when I left that company, I wanted to actually, and I had this hypothesis that um, being from consulting and being in, in customer facing roles, account management, customer success, whatever it is, you really like truly get to the core of solving a problem for someone. And I would see all of these sales uh, guys and, and people being really transactional in the, the net new sales process. And so I had this hypothesis that like if I 
went straight to sales, one, my life would be easier and two, I'd make more money. <laughs> so I uh, was looking then for only, you know, sales roles, but that I could also still own that account management function because I saw the upside in having a salesperson in the account management function as well. And so, That's so, so cool to hear because something that I always say is my Achilles heel is that I came from a consulting background as well. And so it makes me so effective at working with clients, but it also can make me feel like I spend too much time on the wrong ones because I'm not as transactional as some of the other dudes I'm surrounded by. But it's amazing to hear that someone was able to, to develop, as you call it, a hypothesis for the leadership team to be like, this is actually the most effective way to sell and why you're considered so valuable on the team because you, you can upsell and break into a larger deal when going straight into the sales cycle. Yeah, and I would say the transition wasn't, you know, my resume didn't articulate, but on my resume, just like, you know, what I found is I'm like a very truthful, honest person. Like I like the data and facts, but what you're going up against actually is all of these people lying about their quotas. That yeah. they so, you know, yeah. I left the company I was at and I was the top performer, yet I'm hearing, you know, other people who are interviewing for jobs because we were all in the market together since the company got uh, acquired or was going through this transition. And I hear them going into these meetings like, oh, I was bringing in X number of money or whatever it is. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. That person wasn't doing that. And so I think as women, like we a lot of times uh, want to be so factually correct and we don't realize what we're going up against. And so I'm not saying lie, but I'm saying, you know, my title on my resume, uh, I changed to um, client exec, uh, like a client, like enterprise client executive. Right yeah. now, like whether that was what my company said or not. And I told my company I was putting it back and they're yeah. like, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, I, I don't think an account manager uh, encompasses all of the, the work that I did from a sales perspective. And so I don't want that to hinder me to get a job in sales. And I yeah. think like as long as you can describe the job that you did and it aligns to a sales job, that's all that matters. And so when you're putting your resume together, when you're um, doing all that stuff. So when I came in to, to Emissary, they were actually quite like, they didn't know if I could do the job, right? Because yeah. they, they had a bias around, oh, you're an account manager. And like, can't, yeah. and my boss was like, are you aggressive enough? You know, in the meeting, the, the individual who hired me, he was, you know, he actually didn't want me to come back for the second meeting. And he told the recruiter that I wasn't aggressive enough. And I was like, being a aggressive salesman doesn't need to be in your face. Like, yeah. I can be extremely aggressive in a lot of different ways, but. Um. Yeah. No, I think it's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head too. And I'm relating so well to this because to the audience that listens to Quota Queens, they know that, um, that I obviously am from a non-traditional background as well, but doesn't mean that I'm not effective in my sales job. I'm actually really good at it, but it is about getting the right company to take the risk on you because a lot of traditional bias exists in tech sales, which is, and in all industries, when you're doing some type of sell where you have to have the experience in order to be effective. And it's actually like the head of our entire division where we, where Daisy and I work has actually even said that one of his best skills is he can find the diamonds in the rough, which I value so much, but 
then we have our direct report who is very ingrained in what has been effective for him at these larger tech companies and he only wants that and it's it's a hard discrepancy because sometimes you won't get good good talent and mm -hmm. sometimes you will get the best okay so for both of you guys just because you both came from consulting i'm curious to know like for other people because like who are in consulting now looking to make that transition as well like what are the ways that you would say are best for getting into tech? And then what are the examples of like things that really um, translate well that you could bring that are like an advantage? Yeah, I think first and foremost, knowing like what revenue you do impact, right? Like even if it's not you signing the contracts, but like what is your overall impact on the accounts that you're working? Like how have you grown them and how have you renewed them? Like numbers never lie. And so if you go into a meeting and say, I was responsible, you know, a series A company who has $10 million in revenue, like I was responsible for $2 million of revenue, or it doesn't even need to be the exact amount. Like right now, you know, leaving emissary, I've, I was responsible for 80 to 90% of the revenue the last year. Like that's insane, right? It's a significant amount, right? And so I don't need to say how much I can just say I held that percentage and what that shows is one your ability to like maintain a lot of revenue um and two your ability to grow the revenue uh, and so consulting like it's all about continued engagements and there's numbers that everyone sees um and i think having those two facts always available to you is really important and I think also, depending on the level you're at in consulting, look like if you're at a junior consulting level and you're an analyst on deals, you might not touch the revenue as much or you might not see the type of client accounts that you're bringing in, but maybe take a risk. And this is what I did in developing something on the side, because I think one of the best things you can do, especially for tech, is take on an entrepreneurial role, whether it's within your company or outside of it, because that will teach you what it's like to start from nothing and grow something, whether it's your own company, a side hustle of, a, of a, another startup organization. But I think at the end of the day, like something that Shana has spoken to so well when she was like, I had to convince the leadership to hire me into this position is like you got to hustle you have to obviously have data and build a story around it and we're all genuine sellers but you got to figure out the way that you're going to hustle yeah and i think in sales in general like um how i look at it is you are your own entrepreneur in whatever company that that you are in and like that is the beauty of sales is that you get to dictate how much or how little you make um by how hard you work or how um, how efficient you are in the time you spend doing the tasks that you do. And so you have to have an internal drive to run your own business. And that's the most successful salespeople, women or men that I've seen is they take ownership of their entire, whether it's an account list or their book of business as their own like business. And they dictate what they want to do from marketing. They dictate what they want to do from outreach and, Legion, they dictate what they want to do from the customer experience. Like they have a hand in every single aspect because every single aspect drives into the money that they can make. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit to your managerial uh, experience because Daisy and I are both individual contributors. So how many people did you manage at Emissary? So um, 
Right now. So our management lines are a little blurry, um, but uh, anywhere from three to six, depending on how, how large the team is. Um, so I have account managers under me and I have, um, but how we'd work is we'd work cross-functionally with customer support and sales. And so um, there'd be dotted lines kind of all over the organization. Um, and so you, you were responsible for 80 to 90% of the entire company's revenue. Yeah. So what type of, like, how did you manage that pressure every day? And I think this is a good segue because one of the things that everyone should know about you is how grounded you've stayed within this ultimately insane job. And so I'd love to hear, like, how did you manage that? But also what was true to you that you had to maintain in your day to day? Yeah, I think, you know, one of one of the things in life that uh, there's a lot of distractions and there's a lot of chaos. And so the company that I've been at, um, I've been there for four years and um, there's been so many changes, right? The CEO left, the founder, uh, there was a period where we didn't have a CEO. Um, but I think throughout the, the product is not at a place where it needs to be and it's growing and evolving, which is great. The more you sell, the more the product doesn't fit, especially for the enterprise. Um, and I think the one thing that I have maintained every quarter is that I set my own goals. I don't let the company set them. And what I mean by that is the company may say for this year, your quota is X number, and I will set a quota 2X to that. Um, and so every quarter I'm pacing to a higher quota that I individually set because of how much money I want to make. Um, and the second is I remove the chaos immediately when it comes in. And what I mean by that is like we're in organizations, especially sales organizations, deals fall, deals come in, like there's highs, there's lows, but especially being in a startup or in tech, um, there is this culture or group mentality around, you know, complaining about the things that aren't working or getting lost into conversations internally that actually don't align to your, your bottom line. And so um, I found this balance of being able to lean in, but lean out immediately and refocus on the deals. Like, what do I need to do? What can I control? And how do I progress? And how do I take control of the areas that I know other people aren't because they're under-resourced? Um, yeah, that's, that is amazing. Um, and something that I am horrible at probably. Um, <laughs> I mean, Liz knows I've only worked at startups. So I've been at three companies that were all like venture backed tech companies. Um, and it's probably my biggest weakness that I can't seem to like let everything else go and like not let it affect me and not get down on things, which really affects my sales. And I had this epiphany recently when I was talking to one of my friends who's also an enterprise AE and she, you know, was like, you have to come in thinking like your shit is the hottest shit that you could like be selling and no one else has anything better. And I realized that just because of all the chaos, I kind of got down on my product. So anyway, mm -hmm. so like it affects actual sales. And so I want to know like more about that for me personally, for my personal like therapy session. But yeah. how do you do that, especially at a company when it's not like you're an individual contributor like us, where it's like theoretically you could just like take a step back and focus on your sales like you're in management. So how yeah. do you actually go about that? I mean, it's really tough. And there's like days where I shit on the product, product, right? And I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like, we can't, like, we're tripping over ourselves and we can't, like, the amount of revenue we could be making because of X, Y, and Z that's not working. Um, 
And I'm definitely like, I have really high expectations of where we need to, to be to, but with the, my intention is always for our revenue to increase and for us to build the best product poss- possible. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of mindfulness and like meditation stuff. So I, I, I was the person in yoga who like five years ago was like, I'm not doing yoga. It's not high intensity enough. Like it's an ineffective use of my time. Like it's like, I only have, you know, an hour or even 45 minutes in a day that I can be doing something. And like, this doesn't do it for me. And over the last year, I've done a lot of work. So there's a few books that um, I love that, you know, you have to read what I found about books or books that um, make you reflect or self-reflective self-help. They're good, but they're only good if you read them at the moment you're willing to reflect. Yeah, and like at the point where you need when you need like it. a lot of people can read a book and they're like, yeah, I thought it was good, but like you know, I didn't think it like transformed my life. And so I've read two books recently that like I've read them in moments I was searching for self reflection or self growth on my uh, how I was being, whether it was like you know my partner at the time is telling me I'm negative and am I like am I negative? Like I don't know, I don't think I'm a negative person, or. Um, or other areas. And so one is A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Um, And it talks about kind of your identity and the ego and how it drives you. But I thought the the most meaningful part of that was in the corporate world and my professional life, I was getting triggered a lot by the people around me, whether it's the leadership team or whatever. And in a place where I couldn't figure out why. And I was like, they're not being collaborative. They're not, you know, leaning into this and like, I'm just trying to like build, build the business and help us grow. And what it helped me realize is like, everyone has an identity that they're, they're associated with, right. And they have their own triggers. Right. And so when you can start looking at an executive team or start looking at your peers and understanding, okay, this person is driven by this and like their identity is X. And so when they say this to me, like it has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with their identity to this point. And being able to have the like awareness and presence to do that, it has been so powerful for me to not actually take things personally, but still be in an environment that is really chaotic. Yeah, um, I love that. So I actually read that book before you get to your second book, but I yeah. read it um, when I was in my early 20s. So something weird about me, but that's real, um, is that I was a competitive athlete my whole life. So from nine years old to 20, I was an internationally ranked fencer. And so when I was 16, I was third in the country and I like traveled the world and it was a really intense part of my life, even as weird as fencing might seem to most people, um, which is totally fair. And, but when I let, when I quit, there was so much of my identity that was so lost and it took me a really long time to, to figure it out. And I went through so many different therapists and I had a horrible eating disorder. And it was like all the things of, of being a young athlete you might expect. And when I started to seek therapy my, my first time, I was living in LA and my therapist had me read that Eckhart Tolle, the New Earth book. And I distinctly remember the lesson, which was like most of the time when someone is saying something to you that's negative, it's actually not about 
you because you do, it's so easy, especially for women to, to internalize the issue and feel like it's our fault and always be like, what can I do better? But most of the time it's the other person. And I think especially in sales, when you're constantly being told no or in enterprise sales when the product's always fucking shit and you're just trying to figure it out and you're treading above water at the end of the day to tune it out and to be like none of this is about me mm -hmm. and, to, and to i love your idea of like tripling or doubling your quota like as daunting as that might be when we have these gargantuan quotas fuck yeah like that's everything to believe in yourself because you've tuned out the noise that tells you you're it's it's not a, it, it is not about you well, yeah, and I think the 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 aspect of like you know this you know it's when I read this book it was the first time that I was I actually had tangible things in my life to practice it on in the moment and that's where I go back to if you read it and you don't have you know the awareness because it is an everyday thing and um, some days you'll forget about it right or you won't you might let it consume you more but the more you start the practicing the more it comes instinctual and. I'm just doing a real estate deal with a friend um, in in Latin America and I'm negotiating with him on what I want to put down. And um, he he like was basically willing to walk walk away with my negotiation. And in my mind, I was like, okay, do I take this personally? It's a friend. And then I was like, no, like, okay, his identity is like he feels like he looks stupid. So how do I write an email that he can share with his business partner on where I'm coming from so that it doesn't look like him because we told him one thing and now we're going back. It looks like us and we take on the responsibility. And so the same thing can apply to clients, right? Like everyone has to report to someone. And a lot of times people's reactions are dictated on their own fears around like, fuck, I'm now going to have to go like explain this to someone. And I told them X. And so what can you do to give someone the resource so that they, they can do it for you? And then, you know, he emailed today and was like, let's do this. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan and like, I have like one of their coaches and everything. Um, so that's been like a huge help for me in my like sales and career and, and also just like personal development. But he always says like identity is one of the biggest drivers of behavior because everybody wants to stay consistent with their identity, how they see themselves. And I think that that is key to, to just understanding everyone's behavior um, and how they want to look to other people and how they want to look to themselves is genuinely and for the most of the time is what's driving their behavior. And it's not personal to you. It's just knowing that yeah, if they're like, hey, I'm the top rep and that's what I've always been. And like, if somebody tries to like get in my way, I'm going to be really mean to them. It's not you. They're just feeling threatened. Yeah, they're feeling fear of, yeah, their, their, their identity is being taken away from them. Um, yeah. And then the more you can recognize your own identity and how you want to evolve it is like the true path to spirituality, right? Like in the sense that, and so the second book that I like love and I, you know, one of the things that I have done over the last, I feel like four years is my clients, anyone I meet, I'll meet someone because I travel quite a bit and I'll meet someone um, randomly and I'll have a, a random spiritual conversation with them. And then I'll ask them for their address and they're like, why do you want my address? I'm like, oh, I want to send you this book physically to your home. 
And so I've created this like weird natural uh, book club with strangers that like then sometimes they send it to me, but I haven't had a home for a few years. I've been a bit nomadic. Um, but so I, when I find books like this, I start just like sending them to people. I'm like, oh, I'll bring it up in conversation. I get their address and I send it to them. And this one is called The Surrender Experiment um, by, uh, by Michael Singer. Um, and uh, also got it, you know, I was, I picked a word for the year this year. Uh, me and a few girlfriends went down to Costa Rica and we were sitting around and talking. We were like, let's all just pick a word that we feel like embodies us for the year. And so I randomly picked surrender, which I had never really thought of the word before. And I always actually thought of it as a uh, like negative word, especially to a woman, like submissive and not being strong and not having control. And then when you look up the spiritual, uh, the spiritual definition of it, it's, it's like an incredible, you surrender basically to the universe of what uh, things are presented in you. And in one of the, the best things out of that book that came to me was that you, you know, that he, he talks about how he was obsessed with what is this voice in your head? Is it your ego? Is it your identity? Is it, you know, something else? And he comes to terms with it's basically your preferences, your likes and dislikes that you've developed over the course of your life. And that could come from your parents telling you, you should like this, or you shouldn't like this. It's from friends and their opinions. Um, And so what he talks about is how do you actually recognize that voice when it comes up and make decisions, basically the opposite of what your preferences are because they're almost in conflict with where the universe is trying to push you towards a lot. And so tying this into life, tying it into sales, like, you know, there's a lot of things that get presented to you or opportunities or paths and you say no to them because the voice in your head is like, that takes me away from my goal. It's not aligned with the path that I think I'm supposed to be on right now. It's not where I think I should be living or whatever else it might be or what company I should be at. Um, and in reality, the universe is trying to give you like a sweet opportunity that you just don't know what it's going to turn into. And yeah. so he, he reflects his whole life on all of these opportunities that came because he leaned into that. Um, I it's really love talking to Shana because it feels like I've gone to like, you know, meditation for 45 minutes and I'm leaving the conversation like, oh, yes, I'm so inspired. <laughs> I know. That's yeah. why I wanted to have you on the podcast or we both did. But Liz was like, yeah, we had dinner the other night. And I was like, first of all, you're not allowed to have other friends. Like, where was all? <laughs> why are you so happy and inspired now? Let's I need to get in on this. So, yeah. And there's like so many things. I think what I keep hearing in what you talk about is is this equilibrium and this balance. And I I've always thought, you know, life. And in so many spiritual conversations, they're always trying to teach, like, how can you find balance? And sales isn't really a a game of balance. It's a game of highs and lows. And think that the work as an individual within it, if you are an achiever and a high performer, like, how do you find your personal balance in those really high highs and really low lows? Um, And I think, you know, when it comes to spirituality, it's such a great exercise for you to cut out the noise, to focus on your goal, to also focus on the fact that like whatever negativity is around you, it may not actually be because of you. Or if it is taking that inquiry internally and all of these things, I think women honestly do a lot better than men. And it makes us 
stronger, but it's important for everyone to know that it's out there, it's available, and it's also crucial to our success. Yeah. And I think how I think about it is like, you're never going to have a perfect day or like, at least I don't have a perfect day where I don't think like a single negative thought or a single, like, you know, chaos doesn't just come in. I'm just like in total bliss. Um, but I think I'm now better equipped with a tool set of things that help me navigate those situations. Um, and I think that's the way to think about it is like what things help you if you are feeling stressed for a week, like take a moment and pause. Like I always thought in sales or, or in my, you know, my early career in sales and even the startup world, like every moment I wasn't working was a moment a deal could be coming in. And so I put so much pressure on like, I've just got to keep executing. I'd work on the weekends and like I would put myself last and I just realized that like it didn't need to be that difficult. Right. And, you know, the whole world, like everyone, how many people I've worked with, like everyone's taking Adderall to to, you know, do as much as possible to do presentations. And then you realize like those type of things, like your quality suffers, like and it makes you even more chaotic. And so it's a blip in the moment that it helps. And but at the end of the day, like it's just driving you deeper, deeper into a hole of like unhappiness because you might get that deal. But then the next quarter, you're like, I, my body can't physically take doing that again. Yeah. And so yeah. finding this balance of like uh, accepting that like what you did today was enough and that like who you are is enough. And as long as you put a plan, as long as you put a goal out there, as long as you're like a positive human, I believe in the law of attraction, right? All of that. That's why I put the quota double, right? Because I'm writing down, okay, like 500K and every day I'm looking at my list of deals that I think roll up to whatever the amount is I want for that quarter. And it is this mentality of every time I'm looking at it, it then I'm like, okay, what tasks do I need to do today? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. I know we're nearing like the end of our recording. We could talk to you forever, but we always love to end on a hilarious note. So we're going to put you on the spot and ask if, some funny stories have happened to you as of recent in the sales world. If not, Daisy has about 700,000. So we can always bring those in. Um, but yeah, well, okay. First, first, I think I do, I would love to just ask you like one more question just about how you made the switch into management and how you kind of got there just because I think a lot of people would want just because your background is that Mm -hmm. you kind of were consulting then sales Mm -hmm. then in management at a different company so I would be curious just to hear about that transition since I think a lot of people would be are looking to do that um and then I do want to hear about the worst thing that's ever happened (laughs) Yeah. yeah I think, you know, it wasn't easy again, right? Because I didn't have tech, the technical experience to be a manager, right? But like I said, I think facts don't lie. And so I built a business case. And one of the things I think I didn't come to terms with until probably the last two years, but realized early on is like, I always thought that if you like perform well, you get the highest ratings, you're a top performer, like the company is going to come back and say, here's like how we're going to take care of you. Like, here's what we're going to pay you. Here's the role that you're going to get in. And then the reality is like, if they give you more money, your boss is making less money, right? It's like a trickle down effect. If um, it, everyone is batting, you know, it rarely do you find the managers who really want to proactively do that for you. 
And so um, I put together a business case for myself and really laid out like what I had accomplished to date, how I had worked with all of the teams cross-functionally, right? Because at the, at the end of the day, like it's not about your role, it's about the company and how you can impact it. And then I also um, put together kind of why, like my past experience on management. So I had managed a team when I was consulting and, and done different stuff there. Um, but also I think like management is an interesting thing to understand like at each company, it's defined differently, right? And so like at some companies, they're looking for um, someone who just reports out what the team's doing and kind of manages the operational logistics of, of a team, right? And like, that is not me as a manager. Um, and what I felt is in my value prop was if I can manage these people, I think we can like triple our revenue. Because if we take my playbook, in my coaching and play it over every single person who's under me, like I can motivate them. I can set like the same framework that I use and we can increase our revenue tremendously. Um, and, but what I need help with is like, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. And I think being realistic on where your skill set is and where you can impact someone and defining the role around that is really important because none of these managers fit all of the boxes, right? You have, and I work with a ton of sales leaders across, you know, publicly traded companies like those are my clients now. And I see all of them. And, and the rare leader is someone who's creative and strategic. The majority of sales leaders out there are like, uh, here's a framework. Listen to it. One on ones. What's your quota? What did you do today? OK, they're like time management people, which yeah. honestly isn't ideal. So if you can be a leader who is creative, strategic, thinking about how the business can grow, be seen as a collaborator across different lines of businesses. Um, you have a huge path to, to going beyond just being a leader. But I think the first question is like, what type of leader do you want to be? And does this organization value that type of leader? It's so true. It's so hard though to figure that out when I suffer from this because I want to be in leadership and there's no women leaders in our company. There just aren't. And not, I, I don't know why that is, but I do also find that the men leaders that we have in place are just time management people. They, like I'm constantly told to not do the extra thing that I have on my plate to make the business better because it's taking away from my time of just hitting quota. I'm constantly told that. And, and it's hard because I'm like, this won't get done and I don't mind doing it because it's going to make all of us better at our jobs and probably close more deals. Um, and it's and so I, I like, I would see that as an opportunity to be that leader, like no women. Awesome. Like they need diversity. Like, yeah. And like say that and, you know, say that to them, like you have no diversity. How do you think that that looks like, but two, like you're not the only one who feels the way you feel. And so like also be that leader, like fill the gap that no one is fi fi filling because organizations only get to a certain point with the same type of leader. And then like the third thing is like convince them to give them you the opportunity and crush it because once you then crush it, they're like, oh, how do we make more Liz's? Yeah. Like we just want to, you know, translate, what are you doing over here? Yeah. But I think you have, and women do have an opportunity right now with everything going on 
to say, there's a gap. I want it. And like, why can't I have it? Yeah. Yeah. And say it so clearly. That's right. With factual data, right? Like that's the, that's the, the thing that, you know, most people don't get what they want because someone else doesn't want to do the work to fight for you. Yeah. That's the reality of it. And so if you can do the work for the person who's going to have to fight for you, you'll get what you want. Same thing as doing a sale with having an internal champion. Exactly. Make them your champion with and give them the ammo they need to do that. Yeah. Not even, you know, not even make them the champion, like develop the business case for them. So in their presentation so that they don't have to lift a single finger, right? Like whatever it is, like make the charts that they need to like get all the data on how they would think about building a business case internally and spit it back to them. So all they have to do is click send. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you're a partner to me rather than like, Oh, this is another one out of like 15 projects that I have to go like fight for. Yeah. Um, Another person who wants a promotion. mm -hmm. Everybody does. Exactly. Problem I have to deal with. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And what are you working on now? I think Liz and I both want to do kind of entrepreneurial ventures ourselves. So I'm very curious to hear about what you've got going on. Yeah. So the last year and a half, so one of my best girlfriends um, has been in the finance world for the last 15 years. um, And she was really successful there. And we met about five years ago. And every time we would meet, we would come up with random ideas. Um, and then we became friends and we're like, like, let's build a company together. And she was at first interested in like, you know, starting a retreat center or some physical property somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, physical properties aren't that profitable. And so we started thinking about things and we were like, uh, what about making like a travel tech company, but, uh, like a social travel tech company for our demographic. Right. Because I think it me and her over the last two years have been to like 30 different countries, right collectively and individually. And we're like, you know, there's still things that don't exist for us. Like the travel space is weird. It's it's in terms of tech in the sense that all of these companies have um, been developed that help make the process of booking something efficient for the like vendor, whether it's a hotel, uh, restaurant, whatever it is. But they still haven't focused on this, the consumer aspect of like the customer experience. Like there's some stat that it takes some, like a millennial or whatever you want to call it over 20 websites or web sessions to actually book something like that's insane. Wow. Um, and, 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 you know, our, like our demographic doesn't um, trust TripAdvisor, right? They don't trust all of these different tools and the social tools that are out there like Instagram, Twitter, whatever everyone who creates content on that is motivated by someone who's paying them. So it's not authentic recommendations and, and things like that. So we're building a private uh, members only social travel app um, focused on optimizing the way um, people can share book, discover plan uh, travel experiences um, and recommendations. And so we're kind of doing this as our passion project. We both have been successful and we're like, you know, at any point in our life, this is the point that we put our efforts to, you know, something we're passionate about and, and see what happens. And if it solves a problem for us, great. If it becomes something bigger, um, awesome. 
Yeah. So, no, that's, I that's, can't wait to use it. I'm like trying to <laughs> yeah. plan something for New Year's and struggling so bad. So whenever the MVP is out there, I'm ready. Yeah, put us on the beta list for sure. And I think that's so cool that you are doing that with like one of your girlfriends because that's kind of how me and Liz came into this where it's like it's not – easy to always find like a business partner or someone else who like is in that same part of their life where they want to take on like a project or take a risk and do an entrepreneurial venture um and who has kind of the same ideas about things that you have and i mean for us this was this podcast was kind of scratching the itch of like we don't feel like we have that many women to you know get advice from and kind of commiserate with and talk to and all that um so that's why we created this so i feel like yeah that that definitely speaks to me in my my heart yeah, it's, it's <laughs> totally difficult to find someone to start someone with and exactly what, what you're saying that aligns with kind of your your values but also like you know her and i we didn't know each other as partners right we knew each other as friends but the one thing i knew about her is like i'm like i've never met someone who executes as much as me and I like say yeah. this to her all the time, you know, and like she feels the same way. And I'm like, that is what I need. Like we just get shit done and yeah. like we'll figure it out. Right. Like if we need to look up how to code something, we'll, we'll figure it out. And like she didn't have experience in the tech world. And like she is more confident in the tech in like building APIs and product management and, you know, like downloads UI UX tools and is designing stuff. And I'm like, that's the partner I want to be in business with. Like yeah. someone who like, no matter what happens, we can figure shit out and like just move forward, no matter if this is that or, or not. And the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, most people, and I felt this most of my life is you get afraid to make a change, right? Like I made more money than I've ever made in my life last year with my company. And so going in this year, like my quota is higher. I have the opportunity to make more money. And so leaving that for something extremely uncertain that has zero revenue and we don't know what's going to happen and you know we'll, we'll fundraise and things like that but um is terrifying but it's also the most freeing thing uh in the world and i think you can't really get to ultimate success or ultimate happiness if you don't make the changes you need to change when your body is telling you and what i mean by like body like you get physical reactions on like hey this job is just Every time I meet with these people or every time I do this, like I physically feel ill, you know, like I just can't do this anymore. And um, I think taking risks and doing it and not knowing, especially in sales, you can always go back to a sales job. Like once you have the competency, you can always do something um, is really important. So true. Yeah. And when your body is like excited, I think when you're excited yeah. about something and you yeah. can feel it, you feel it in your body, you're like, it's right. Let's just do it. Yeah. You're um, like, that was fun. Wait, like, yeah. Yeah. Like I forgot. What what that was like. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, awesome. Um, okay. So have to ask what's the most embarrassing or like weird or like worst thing that happened has happened to you in your sales career could be yesterday. Like, most of mine are, or could be like five years ago, but I, we need to hear the story. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think like what I don't embarrassing is I, I've had a lot of like tough moments um, where I'm like, that's difficult. I, I mean, the most embarrassing, it, this is like personal and professional, but 
I had just started at Emissary and I had, you know, coming out of a, out of a um, startup before your head's down working so much. And I went straight into Emissary and I probably should have taken some time off, but what I liked about Emissary is like, I went from this cultural, like very driven, like everyone hung out with each other. They got drinks, like the, the whole environment, like was work and life. And then Emissary, like no one hung out with each other. You know, it's like, this is great. Like everyone's super chill. Like I don't have to be here past five. Like this yeah. is amazing. But it gave me this like, you know, really lenient aspect of like, didn't really care at the beginning, like if it was going to work out or not. And so I was two weeks into the job and I was also in this aspect of life where I just like wanted to feel like spontaneous and free. And so I ended up um, meeting someone in New York. Yeah. I ended up meeting someone in New York and I was just single. I ended up meeting someone in New York and I used to play tennis. So I, uh, it was the weekend of Wimbledon and I, um, met this person and on Friday and Wimbledon finals with uh, Federer was on Sunday. And this person was like, uh, I have uh, front row tickets uh, on Sunday to the finals. Like you're coming with me. I'm like, I don't even know you. And he's like, we're going to, to, we're going to London. And I'm like, you know, I have a bunch of friends in London and um, I'm like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Like I go and like, I'm just like, go stay with friends because you know, this person's crazy, but I had just started emissary. So I text my CRO at the time and I'm like, Hey, I, uh, got the opportunity to go to, to Wimbledon. Um, I'll be back next week. Uh, do you mind if I take off? And he's like, Oh, like must be a great friend, you know, um, like have fun. And then I go ends up turning into this whole whirlwind. Like I end up staying the whole week. And because he's like, you're staying with me. It's like, this, we're flying all over, went to Germany. And, um, but I'm taking all of my first emissary pitch calls in London. And so I'm like, in between all of this stuff, trying, I don't even know what the product is. I'm like trying to, um, uh, but I like maintain the consistency of the sales calls. And I was like, okay, I'm going to like, you know, give my boss updates every day. And then I came back to New York and I'm like, I'm definitely getting fired. Like, there's no shot. Um, and you know, I was honest, I was just like, Hey, like I really just did something spontaneous. Like it's not a reflection of my character. Um, it won't happen again. And he was like, all right. And then that was it. Like, that's how I kicked it off at Emissary, which is, you know, really hilarious because it uh, ended up you being the top performer for like, yeah, totally. um, yeah. yeah, that's not embarrassing. That's just like kind of awesome. A bad <laughs> <laughs> if there's one word we could leave this episode with, it's like, okay, Shana's a badass. So, like, <laughs> Shana, you're literally epic. Um, we're going to have you on more for sure. But thank you so much. Um, and Daisy, you want to finish us off? Yeah. Um, no, thank you so much for coming. And it was great for, for me to finally meet you. Um, and are you in Austin? Yeah, not. I just, you know, I like I said, I surrendered and uh, I quit my job, bought a house, started a company. All things that scare my family right now. <laughs> They're like, wait, yeah. about it though? Thank you. Yeah, thanks guys. It's great. And I'm happy to help in any way. Yeah. Uh, now that I'm a bit more settled. Very enlightening for us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>